Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. In the previous program, I made reference to a former Army Ranger who is a massive man who is on the roster of the Pittsburgh Steelers National Football League team and who was the only member of the Pittsburgh Steelers that came out of the locker room to honor the Star-Spangled Banner. And after having done so, after the game, in response to reporters, the head coach, Mike Tomlin, referenced that and stated, and I'm paraphrasing, that his first duty was to the team, meaning to the head coach, and that that duty required subservience to the head coach and all of his lackeys and all of those players who were willfully demonstrating disrespect and dishonor for the nation, and that any allegiance, loyalty, fidelity that Villanueva had for this nation was subordinate to that. Now, I am reasonably sure that in referencing Alejandro Villanueva, that I misspoke with regard to his last name. And that's why I'm repeating this. But it is, it's in a nutshell, it is a graphic depiction of so much of what's wrong with this nation and what's wrong with the National Football League. The National Football League, the majority of the contests are conducted on Sundays, on the Lord's Day. Now, there are those who would say, wait a minute, that the Sabbath is Saturday. I understand that there are various different Christian denominations, very few, <laughs> uh, but such as Seventh-day Baptists, denominations such as Seventh-day Adventists, some would question whether they are Christian, and then there are Jews of whichever denomination and irrespective of their names, they are all <laughs> all removed from the truth of God. And even that which is referred to as conservative is not. And so unless you get to the ultra-Orthodox, Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox, Hasidic, uh, <laughs> you're in left field. But they would say the Sabbath is... Saturday, And then there's Islam, dear old satanic creation, Islam. But the Lord's Day 
is recognized by the overwhelming vast majority of Christendom as being Sunday. And while it's true, it's never mentioned, but it's true that every day, every night is the Lord's, still, Sunday is a day that was reserved for, the Sabbath was a day that was reserved for rest, for honoring God, for glorifying God, and again, for rest and recuperating and relaxation, but not for idle pursuits, trivial pursuits, mercantile pursuits, not for labor. And yet, here in this United States of America and so many places around the world, it is standard operating procedure to engage in anything and everything on the Lord's Day. There are those of us who simply trying to make a living have been forced into doing labors on that day that are not ministry-related. It's interesting, I see time and again, where Muslims or others, such as Hindus and so forth, are given a free pass from working on a day, a weekly day of religious observance, let alone all of their special days, the days they say are special, their unholy, holy days. But Christians are not given that same privilege or benefit. I know that personally. I know that firsthand. I know that for years and years. And there were jobs that I took in order to be employed, jobs that I interviewed for, so on and so forth, where if you did not agree to work on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, and if you did not agree to work on Wednesday, Wednesday evening, Wednesday night, you were not permitted to be employed. And yet, not only is Sunday the Lord's Day and is when church services the vast majority of church services occur, but then Wednesday evening, Wednesday night is when typical midweek services take place. There are exceptions here and there, Thursday and so forth. But, and of course, for Catholics, Mass on any given day. But those in these other religions, notably Islam, are not prohibited from employment. Instead, those companies would be sued for discrimination if they failed to employ them when they say that they cannot, will not work on those days. It's interesting how that has happened. It's interesting the honor, the obeisance that the left political leaders 
have duly paid enthusiastically upon Islam and others while they, in fact, engage in a rear-guard action continually against Christianity, even if they are claiming to be Christians for campaign purposes and so forth. There are a number of things that are going on that, of course, are worth referencing. Things such as these matters that I referred to last program, the Iranian testing of a new ballistic missile capable of carrying multiple nuclear warheads. And, of course, the Iranian nuclear missile program doesn't exist. Their nuclear reactor program is going full speed ahead. But, of course, they don't have nuclear weapons. Heavens no. Um, Our previous president and presidents, but notably our previous president, saw to that. Even as he did everything he could, everything in his power to strip the United States of America of the nuclear weapons that it had when he took office. And he did a bang-up job of it. Pun intended. Well, Iran provides an interesting case in point with regard to what is the extent of the threat. Is it like North Korea? It, after all, is another one of that unholy triad that former President Bush, George W., referred to as an axis of evil, Iran, Iraq, North Korea. Iran is a ally, an ally of the Russian Federation of Vladimir Putin. Not to be confused with the Russian people, but the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin. North Korea, too, is allied with the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin. Both of these nations, these regimes were referred to, were regarded as being loose cannon, independent operators by the Bush administration. Errantly. On both counts. Iran has not only nuclear reactors, but nuclear weaponry, courtesy of the United States of America. North Korea, in these various reports, only has a nuclear program, doesn't have nuclear bombs yet, purportedly and falsely, errantly. Both of these nations present a mortal threat 
North Korea to South Korea to Japan to Guam, Okinawa, Philippines, and so forth. And, of course, to U.S. military forces, U.S. naval vessels, U.S. aircraft, and so forth in the area. In the South China Sea vicinity. Iran's greatest threat is to Israel, but also, again, to United States military forces, troops, bases within the Mideast region. The idea that if Kim Jong-un should take it upon himself to order attacks against the United States of America, and that if Iran, under its new leader, should call for attacks against the United States of America, the idea that those would be just renegade, independent, loose cannon actions, independent of any orchestrated theme or conspiracy against the United States of America is bizarre and absurd and willfully ignorant and or absolutely dishonest, intellectually dishonest in any case. Russia, the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin, which has been greatly renovated, greatly upgraded, greatly modernized and improved over that which he was bestowed with when he originally took power, took office. His, you could say, promotion from the KGB, from the GRU, from number two man in charge of operations, chief operating officer for Russian intelligence, previously for Soviet intelligence. Number two man, but even though, as I've referred to before, he was not the top man whom you might consider to be the CEO, he was the number two man He was the chief operating officer in Western parlance. He was responsible for operations. So he was the most dangerous man at the KGB and GRU before becoming Russian president in the new democratic Russia. But murderous, communist, bloody red China, the Chinese regime, not to be confused with the people as a whole, 
It has the same motivation, the same intentions, the same long game in place now that was in place one decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago, four decades ago, back when communist China, the communist Chinese regime, and the Soviet regime were killing American soldiers in Vietnam and before that in Korea. Now, while this greatly modernized, strengthened, improved, new and improved Russian regime under new management, if you will, Soviet regime-ish, ish, under new management, while it, in and of itself, could strike the United States with devastating force and other Western forces that are within even closer, easier range. And while murderous communist China could strike the United States of America with the weapons it has cloned from all of the most recent, current, state-of-the-art American inventions in weaponry. While it could do that, and those nations that are nearer to it, which it also desires to crush and destroy, while they could do that independently or in concert with each other, for they are allies. I know we never hear that they're allies. They are allies. They are joined at the hip. The Soviet Union and communist Chinese regime were joined at the hip in Korea and in Vietnam. And they are still joined at the hip, even though it is a Russian Federation, a democratic, democratic sham. (laughs) It is a democratic fraud. It is a regime, a dictatorship. Just as their constitution is a sham, is a fraud, as it was during the life of the Soviet regime, of the murderous, monstrous, evil, satanic Soviet regime. While they could do that, they have options. Do the Russian people, to a man, to a woman, want to go to war against the United States of America and against Eastern Europe and Western Europe and Britain and so forth? Do they have bloodlust desire to do that? No. The regime does. Do the communist regimes, peoples, whom it enslaves, oppresses, exploits, 
do they have bloodlust desire to attack the United States of America and their neighbors? No, but the bloody regime does. Oh, I know it is supposedly democratic and supposedly its desires are for peace and prosperity. Well, China is operating behind the Iron Curtain, the same today as it was a half century and more ago, but with great subtlety, or not, (laughs) what it does, what the regime does in China is far from subtle, but what it communicates to the outside world, especially to the Western world, is. Just as what the Iranian regime does within its borders is far from subtle, but what it communicates to the Western world is. And so, too, with Vladimir Putin. He is a very sly, cunning Russian bear indeed. While they could take on the United States of America, if they tire of waiting, if their patience grows thin, they could attack the United States of America in concert with each other. But they have an option available to them that is more useful. And that is, they can employ these rogue regime satellite nations. North Korea, Iran, Pakistan. Pakistan, which Donald Trump has recently referred to as being an ally of ours, albeit an ally that has failed us, an ally that has lied to us, and so on and so forth, not been faithful to us. Oh, my word. But an ally nonetheless, an important ally. In point of fact, Pakistan is an important ally of communist China, not of the United States of America. And it has great nuclear resources and rocketry. Now, yes, normally Pakistan is mentioned in the same breath as India when it comes to nuclear threats because they share a common border and they have had a great deal of fighting in Kashmir and brutal, vicious attacks by Pakistan against Indian soldiers. But the truth of the matter is Pakistan is a very useful member of the arsenal of communist China. And the Russian regime and the communist 
Chinese regime can, if they so choose, use, employ North Korea, Iran, Pakistan, yes, others such as Cuba, Venezuela, and so forth, Colombia, to attack the United States of America and Western nations, to start the brouhaha. And then the United States of America, which has patiently been forbearing, would, of course, react, respond. How would the United States of America respond, react? It would strike those individual rogue regimes, North Korea, Iran, Pakistan, Cuba, Colombia, Venezuela. It would not attack Russia or communist China. So first, the United States of America and Western nations, including those of Eastern Europe, would suffer grave losses. Losses of men, women, young people, children, and weaponry of war, and communications, and the list goes on. But in addition to that, then the United States and Western nations, in their response, in their retaliation, would use up additional weaponry, missiles, bombs, arsenal, military arsenal, and would lose additional military personnel in making those responses. And after a certain amount of dust had settled, a certain amount of nuclear dust had settled, and the United States of America and the Western nations had had their stockpile, if you will, their arsenal greatly reduced, then and only then would the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin and the communist regime of Jinping and all of his clutch there in communist China, they would respond. But they would be unscathed, untouched, at full strength, at full complement of power. And they would strike from our blind sides, if you will. Strike a wounded and tired and diminished United States of America and Western nations. Is that likely to happen? More in a minute. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done, in case you missed the introduction. I'm not talking about a doomsday scenario. I'm not talking about the whole earth being in conflagration and nuclear fallout, so on and so forth. Not talking about an end of the world scenario. No, 
Instead, I'm talking about a very cold-blooded, strategic, targeted, monstrously destructive attack waged against the United States of America and the stronger of its allies. And this is something that has been in the works going back to World War II. The purposes, the intentions, the plans are still running on course. The tactics have been tweaked. One thing that is an absolute hallmark of the Orient, of Asia in the Orient, is an extremely patient, long-term view of things. Instead of the millisecond ADA fascination here in the United States of America with, okay, well, we're in the tweeter universe, aren't we? Yes, it's Twitter, but the the tweeters, like our president, our commander-in-chief, And, oh my gosh, he gets distracted and he gets upset about something and he starts tweeting and he's tweeting at 3 a.m. in the morning. Very presidential, very responsible, terribly responsible, terribly wise. (laughs) It's just, it is beyond laughable. It is just ah, absurd. Exceedingly unpresidential and foolish. And it's not to say that every single thing that he tweets is idiotic and rubbish, even though much of it is, and much of it is harmful, harmful to him, harmful to his presidency. But it's bizarre and it's laughable. And it's absurd. And it demeans him. It demeans, more importantly, the presidency and the nation. But it also impacts his performance as president during the rest of the day. It's unimaginable, but he is a president of this age. You know, here is a man who is 70 or 70 plus. And yet this social media behavior is like that of a teenager. It's... mm, I find it appalling, but I found it appalling before he was elected. I found it appalling going back to the get-go when he was running. And yes, of those left standing in the general election, yes, he was the only one to vote for. Not horrible, horrible, monstrously destructive wicked Hillary. But that's not to say 
that that was a choice that I desired to make, as I've made it very clear for so long. But it's very much concerning to me. It should be very much concerning, I think, to everyone that given the times that we live in, given the kind of scenario that I have painted, if you will, to use poetic license, to have a president with no more wisdom than that, no more godly wisdom than that. And he doesn't have godly wisdom. He's not on the wrong side of everything. He absolutely is not. But he's devoid of godly wisdom because he's devoid of the fear of God and faith in God. He may have some modicum of religiosity, but that is a totally different thing. But I can understand that people don't want to focus on or think about a scenario which they would describe as being a worst-case scenario, like I have described. But it's really not a worst-case scenario in the sense of, oh, well, it could be scenario A or B or C or D or E or F or G. No. It is the scenario. It's a terrible scenario, but it is the scenario. What else could take place? In its place, what else could take place? What could happen instead of that? And I can't say what the time frame is, but what else could happen instead of that? I only know of one other scenario. And that is that before that happens, that something else happens that has the same ultimate effect of bringing the United States of America to its knees, not to its knees to worship God, not to its knees to protest deplorable, intransigent racism against blacks and other such fictions, but instead attack from without and attack from within, but not by Russia and not by communist China, but instead by a new world regime that actually is an old world regime that is a successor to the Roman Empire and may be considered a Fourth Reich or Fifth Reich. Not right-wing, 
fascism isn't right-wing. That's such a lie, and I've referred to that time and again, but fascism is just another type of socialism. The Nazi regime was the ultimate fascist regime. Yes, there was the Italian fascist regime under Benito Mussolini. Yes, there was the fascist regime of Franco in Spain. But these were small fry. There have been others. There continue to be others. In South America and so forth, interestingly enough, South America where Hitler and Bormann and such fled at the end of World War II. But that's right. Hitler did not commit suicide. Did you really think Hitler was suicidal? Did you really think Hitler would take his own life? I mean, I always, always knew that was an impossibility. But anyway, uh, our FBI knew better. They knew that he was alive, that he was in South America, as they knew Borman was. But that goes back a ways. <laughs> but this, and what he was involved in was referred to as a Fourth Reich. That's why I said, or Fifth Reich. <laughs> but fascism is socialism, as is communism. You might consider it to be like, for instance, the AFC and the NFC are both in the NFL. Right? And they're competing with one another. And they give it their all and they put it out there on the line. Yes, individual teams are competing with one another, all 32 teams. But then you go through the playoffs and you wind up with an NFC champion and an AFC champion or in Major League Baseball. You have the American League champion and the National League champion. And the final championship is between those teams that represent those individual divisions of their league. And they can be called conferences instead of divisions. When I say divisions, I'm not talking about the terms they use. I'm just talking about there being a division within Major League Baseball, National Football League, National Basketball Association, National Hockey League. They all have these divisions, these structures. Well, you may take offense at the idea that socialism is represented by both fascism and communism, but it's absolutely true. And the final regime, and I do mean the final regime on this earth, will be the successor to the Roman regime. And it may have connection with the Holy Roman Empire, but 
Those who are behind the scenes, behind the screen, behind the veil, those who are in the innermost inner circles and who are pulling the levers of power and who control this nation and this world the best that they can. They don't have total control, but they are doing their darndest. They've been working to that end for a long time. They do it by having their agents of change, if you will, in all political parties. Not just the major parties, the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, but all major parties that are inferior to those major parties. You know, the Green Party, the Communist Party, the Libertarian Party, and so forth. And in England, it's not just in the so-called Liberal Party, which is not generous, or the Conservative Party, it's all of the other parties, socialist and communist and what have you. And it's that way across the Western world, is that these who are behind it all, who do not have total control, but who have been waging a non-stop war of sorts. Not the typical military war, even though they have had an enormous amount to do with starting those military wars and keeping them going. But those behind the scenes, the Amschel Bauer Rothschilds, and all of their ilk. They can and they may succeed in bringing this nation to its knees to absolute surrender and subservience and enslavement without there being this conflagration from nuclear warfare begun by, initiated by, North Korean regime, Iranian regime, Pakistani regime, and so forth. But the end game is the same, and it is to enslave, to conquer the United States of America and the Western world. And it might seem absurd and bizarre to imagine that such a thing could happen. After all, we are supposedly, purportedly, the sole world superpower. And of course, going back some time, oh my gosh, the Soviet Union and former Soviet Union, they were just hopelessly archaic and rusted and disabled, unable to compete, much less to defeat us. And of course, communist China, yes, it had a vast army, but so what? Didn't have the technology. Same for North Korea. Same for Vietnam. Same for Pakistan, and so forth. But truth of the matter is, 
that the United States of America has been weakened and weakened and weakened and weakened, courtesy not only of Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden, but William Jefferson Clinton and his co-president Hillary Rodham Clinton and Albert Arnold Gore Jr., who was and is related to namesake who was a valuable ally of the Soviet Union. The fact of the matter is, this nation is not chiefly vulnerable because of all of this enormous, continual assault on the military strength and preparedness of this nation, courtesy of the feminization of the military, and the now sodomization of the military, and now the transgenderization of the military, and the influence in the military of the Satanists and the Muslims and all of these other things that have had truly ruinous effect on our military and continue to. But that's not the root of our vulnerability. The root of our vulnerability is not the likes of the Kaepernicks and Tomlins and all of their ilk. The root of our vulnerability is the corruption and subversion and perversion of this nation's culture and soul. The Israeli armies, going back to the days of Israel thousands of years ago, not modern Israel, but thousands of years ago, the armies of Israel were supposedly all-powerful, almighty, because God had made them so. God enabled them. God fought for them. But through process of time, they corrupted and perverted themselves to the point where God could not honor them. Not only would not fight for them, but fought for their enemies against them, according to his word. Now, you may reject the word of God. You may reject the Old Testament, even if you claim to believe in the New Testament. But if you reject the Old Testament, then the New Testament doesn't have a foundation. The New Testament is fulfillment of the Old Testament 
prophecies concerning the Messiah and so forth. And there is more that is yet to be fulfilled, that is for sure. (laughs) But God Almighty, you could say he deserted the armies of Israel, but he did more than that. He not only didn't fight for them, he not only didn't stay on the sidelines but empower them. He not only didn't stay on the sidelines and not empower them, but he actively fought against them, diametrically contrary to what had taken place before, because he could not abide what had become of the Israeli people the Israeli nation. And some will split hairs here and say, well, you're talking about Israel or Judah and so on and so forth. (laughs) This pertains to Israel before any division. And after. Because they made themselves abominable before God. They made themselves his enemies. They not only failed to honor God and obey God and worship God, but they actively honored and obeyed and worshiped devils that were worshiped by the heathens in neighboring lands and in the land that they had inherited from God. And they did evil, abominable things. And... Lo and behold, the United States of America's military, not just the nation, not just peoples in various different parts of the nation and in every part of the nation are doing abominable things and with the full blessing and reward and legal enforcement by force from our governments, but governments meaning federal, state local, municipal, what have you. But the military itself not only reflects that, but is actively engaged in all of that corruption and perversion and abomination, and God cannot honor it. He may, hopefully he will, honor individuals, individual soldiers and sailors and airmen and so forth. Hopefully, those who worship God, honor God, are faithful to God, are valiant, are courageous, are righteous, are self-sacrificing, are noble. Hopefully he will. But the fact of the matter is, when God turned against Israel, he turned against Israel in mass. And that is the critical point of vulnerability of the United States of America, not how diminished our nuclear arsenal is, not how advanced our enemies, our absolute blood enemies of the communist regime of China and the regime of Vladimir Putin, not how advanced they are, courtesy of stealing technological secrets, the cutting-edge military secrets of the United States of America and cloning these devices. 
Those are not the keys to the vulnerability here. The absolute fatal vulnerability is that the United States of America has made itself abominable in God's sight. And there's no president that's going to turn the corner on that, let alone one who does not have fear of God nor godly wisdom. Certainly not a Twitter-in-chief. A twit won't do it. Only worship of God, honor of God, faithfulness to God will make a difference that can save this nation. Save it from itself, you might say, or from its own worst, being its own worst enemy. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.